This morning, Proverbs chapter 21. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if, if there are any in the house here today that uh, were friends with Marie Wonky or know the Wonky family uh, and did not get the news, Maria, uh, Marie passed away and uh, we're doing her memorial service this afternoon at 2 o'clock at the convention center. So if you knew her and you want to come and be a part of that service, that's why they're having it at the convention center. She just yeah, had so many friends uh, spent her life here in Big Bear and lived it out inside the community in so many ways that she was uh, touched a lot of people. So you have no idea how many people are going to show up for this event, but you're invited too. Amen? Okay. Marie, if you ever had to go to the school district office you and see the superintendent of schools, you had to get past Marie to get there. She was the uh, secretary of the superintendent of schools for about 21 years, and uh, she made it through a few of them. She was the one secretary, and there were at least three superintendents. You know, In fact, all three of them are going to be at the service today and sharing a little bit <clears throat> about their journey with Marie. Great gal. Wonderful woman. Today we're approaching whose story? You want to have a little fun with me just for a second? How many of you liked English when you were in school? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Good. Now, don't shout out your answer, though. <laughs> In your mind, spell, if we say whose story, spell whose. Hey, I said in your mind. <laughs> How many of you put an apostrophe in it? Nobody? Some did. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. I did. I went H-W-H-O apostrophe S. Whose story? But it's H-O-S-E, right? With a W in the front. Just a little refresher. Whose story? Hey, we're tracking the Truth Project, and I'm hearing great. Anybody want to just take a minute and say what the Truth Project's done for you in the last few weeks? Anybody got a testimony about change or transformation that's happening for you by being in the Truth Project? Spontaneous, that's a hard one. It was good to get that, wasn't it? If you're on the tour five in the science part. Well, I appreciate the fact that they were able to dismantle Darwinianism in about an hour. It was great. Something that we've all needed for a long time. Anybody else? What's transformation in your heart, your life, the way you think, the way you approach life? We're going to have to start over. In the back. Man with his hand. Six, five or six, uh, 
Yeah. How many of you agree with that? That you become a little more aware? Becoming a little more aware of the things you see and go, whoa, I see a worldview in there. I see a, somebody's trying to teach me something in or behind the scenes. Right? And uh, if you're unaware of totally what we're talking about, our apologies. On the back of this uh, sheet you got this morning, <clears throat> there are a number of groups that are meeting all over the community, different types and styles. Uh, they're all, we call them cell groups, we call them lighthouses. It says lighthouses you can visit. We want you to get into one of these with us. And this is where we're reviewing the Truth Project. And uh, it's a series of, of um, DVD curriculum, if you will, from Focus on the Family. And it will strengthen and help you build a biblical worldview. And it will help us, what Ed was saying, is you'll, your eyes open and begin to understand that some of the stuff you've been given over the years are really lies, packaged rather well. Uh, but they're lies nonetheless, and they've been given to us as fact. And uh, one thing that really has helped me was when we discussed the fact that when you build a hypothesis, right, what comes after that? Theory. Theory. And then you go to prove the theory, and if you can prove the theory, then it becomes law. And with the whole uh, issue of Darwin, we went from hypothesis to theory, and we jumped over law, and we just called it a fact. Because they didn't want to call it a law, because if you put it down on the table as a law, then the scientific and mathematic and biological community will begin to just dismantle it and disprove or prove and hammer it until it's dissected and either it stands or it goes. And it didn't have the legs to stand on, so they just jumped across and just began to give it to us as fact. And it's still, to this day, given to us as fact. There's a fact that Darwin lived, and there's a fact that he wrote a book, The Origin of the Species. But what he wrote, as Katie says, is about as outdated as the Flintstones. Hmm? He wrote a fiction book. <laughs> it's been taught to our schools and almost probably all of us as fact, right? Mm-hmm. I know I shared before, but when I first went in my European history class in high school, uh, the teacher was an atheist, and so he spent the first two or three days just beginning the whole thing on evolution and Darwin. And I thought, what does this have to do with European history? But I had just become a Christian, so I was very excited to find somebody that knew what they were talking about on the issue of evolution. So I was taking notes like crazy. I'm going to get an A on this class. About three days into the class, he stopped in the, at the beginning of the next class and said, <clears throat> how many of you here are creationists? The whole class raised their hand. And I thought, praise God. They're not even Christians, but they believe in creation. And he said, well, then I guess I'll go back to European history. No sense trying to convince you about evolution. And I was so sad. I thought, oh, I'm missing my chance to find who, a guy that thinks he's an authority uh, so I can charge into this evolution stuff and dismantle it. As a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Get him. Bold, anyway. Proverbs 21. Did we get there? Talking about whose story this week. And you're going to really enjoy the Truth Project this week, I believe. Uh, I snuck ahead, and it's great. You're going to appreciate it, and it's going to help you a lot. And uh, as I was coming to the message, and even though I'm sure I was aware there was an election going on in our nation... Uh, but it wasn't why I wrote this question in my notes. I wrote this question down. Who's in charge here? When you start thinking of all that there is, 
And I appreciated the worship this morning. I just closed my eyes and I began to see, and you'll relate, those of you who have seen Lou Giglio's video, How Great Is Our God. We were saying that. I was just seeing the planets go by, seeing the universes unfolding. And I see little, little earth way down there. And I thought, am I getting a God perspective on the smallness of earth, really? And yet, when I began to think how ins- insignificant in size the earth is compared to all that's been created, I realized, too, that God himself decided to come and manifest himself in the flesh as one of us, lived among us, took on flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, did not think earth insignificant in all of his creation. thought it significant enough to come visit here and die for our sins, to give us access back into the throne room of God and into fellowship with him. That's significant. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're significant. I thought I heard somebody say, almost as significant as me. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Proverbs 21. Who's in charge here? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The evangelical commentary on the Bible says this. Another royal proverb commences chapter 21 comparing the king's heart to a life-giving irrigation stream, the flow of which is under the Lord's control, who bestows all life. The heart denotes intelligence, feeling, and will, as informed by divine wisdom. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says a farmer directs water by digging canals. Similarly, the Lord directs the hearts of kings. Matthew Henry says that the husbandman by canals and gutters turns the waters through his grounds as he pleases. He doesn't alter the state of the water nor put any force upon it, but he directs it in the way that it should go so that it will bring the best advantage to his property. And this is the picture of Proverbs 21, 1. Who's in charge? Well, we've just had a, a change in elections in a lot of things. Uh, evidently, I've become kind of popular. I was told this morning, again, I've made a few news spots for you. And uh, I apologize if I've embarrassed you in any way. If you're on my team, just say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we've had change. And now the responsibility of believers is to do what? Pray. Pray for those that are in authority over you. Intercede and, and all levels. I think some Christians are going to start praying like they've never prayed before. Because God's in charge. And uh, while he does not exert the pressure to change the will, he can certainly dig the canals and shape history. History, when you spell it correctly, has two S's and a hyphen. Another English class. It's his story. It's the unfolding of God's interaction with us, mankind, His creation. It's about God dealing with us and loving us. As I said, I close my eyes and see that faraway perspective of the insignificant size of the earth compared to creation. And yet God said, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to make them in my image. This is my story. And you and I are living in a small window of that story. And we are important in this story. We are part of the unfolding of God's plan in history. 
Hallelujah. I'm, I'm appreciating this today that in, uh, when you look at Exodus chapter 10, in the first couple of verses of Exodus chapter 10, you find God saying to Moses to go down to Egypt. Let's go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Who's in charge? Pharaoh? No, I don't think so. God's in charge. In Isaiah chapter 10, and I don't think I'll read this whole thing, but I'll give you the paraphrased version, okay? It's a guy named Tiglath-Pileser, if I'm even saying his name right. He's a leader of Assyria. And God has once again become upset with the children of Israel. They've wandered in their conduct and in their action. They've become immoral again. Well, you know, just kind of like America. We've strayed. And God says, I'm going to spank them. And so he calls on Tiglath-Pileser, the leader of the Assyrians. And he says, I'm going to bring Assyria over once again, and I'm going to spank the Israelites. He also goes on to say that when he does this, the leader, Tiglath-Pileser, is going to grow, rise up in his heart and say, look what I've done. I really whipped up on those Israelites. And I'm going to, matter of fact, I'm going to stretch out and take other nations. And I'm going to do other things. And I'm going to be I, 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 I. He doesn't realize that he is being led by the king of kings. He's not in charge. God's in charge. And God is using him like a rod to spank Israel. And God goes on to say, when I'm done spanking my people, then I'm going to spank the guy that spanked them. Because the king of Assyria is going to rise up in his heart and say, all these things are about me and I'm so great and look what I did. God says, I'll have to put him in line also by spanking him. Who's in charge? Whose story is it? It's God's story. Isaiah chapter 45. You've got to love this one. I do. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. For for Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect... I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Here's the clincher in case you're not up on your history or you didn't read your footnotes yet. Cyrus is not going to be born for another hundred years. And the prophet, speaking by the mouth of God, 
calls a hundred years into the future and names this guy. And says, when you come around, Cyrus, you're my man. I'm calling you by name. And when you come on the scene, I'm going to use you. And he uses him, even though he's not a, a God-fearing man necessarily. He's not, a, he's not an Israelite by any means. He's going to use God, this guy. God is going to use this guy, who he calls by name a hundred years in advance, to help his people Judah. He's going to be the guy that helps restore Jerusalem. In fact, if you want to look at Ezra, which is uh, over there in front of Job, and kind of go backwards a little bit, if you're unfamiliar. Psalms, Job, backwards, backwards. Ezra chapter 1. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, and all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heavens has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. This guy comes on the scene, and he... In fact, historians say that when people brought him the scrolls and read to him Isaiah 45, his heart changed. And then he made this declaration to restore Jerusalem. Who's in charge? Things are happening hundreds of years in advance. We know that. We look at the prophecies of Scripture. and We've got Isaiah talking about the birth and the death of Jesus 700 years before he comes. God's always been in charge. And even though nations change leadership... And laws are altered and propositions are voted in and constitutional amendments are made. God is still in charge. And God will direct the course, the water course of the king by his irrigation ditches. We're not in trouble when we're following God. Amen? The hearts of men can be changed by the most powerful God, our Savior. Now, there's a sentence you're going to find in the Truth Project that I stole. It says, what you believe in the present is determined by what you know about the past. What you believe in the present is determined by what you know about the past. I like Del Tackett because he says, what's the past? It's everything that's happened. What's the future? Everything that hasn't happened yet. And what's the present? This is what's happening right now, baby. That's what he says. He says, but the sentence I said to you just now, is that in the past, the present, or the future? It's in the past already. It's gone. See, because the present is just this moment of time that's happening right now, all the time. And we interpret life in the present by what we know about the past. That's why it's so important we understand that this is his story. This is history that's unfolding. It's all about God interacting with man. We can't say that God's been in charge of every single thing that happened, all the evil, all the killing, all the anti-God things. He's not in charge of making those things happen, but He is the great overseer of everything that does happen. And it's never left His ability to guide. 
The other thing that's important for us to understand, we look at history, and we sang it just a few minutes ago on purpose. It's not about you. (laughs) Myopia. What's myopia? Close focused. Our tendency is to live life about us. We're trained that life is about us. Go to Burger King, they'll reinforce it for you. (laughs) Have it your way. I used to remark, and still comes to mind occasionally, that when when I was growing up, uh, we had magazines like Life. Right? Oh, great pictures, all about the world, life. Life. And then it kind of narrowed after that to people. What came next? Us. Is there a magazine called Me? Huh? Self. Self. Holy smokes. Self. It's got to be one named I. Right? And that's the one we're living out every day. I. Where do you find the I? It's right in the middle of the word sin. <laughs> that's good. No, not bad, huh? I stole that too. Myopia, this, this thing of being so close focused that, and being told and reinforced constantly that life is about you and everything that happens is in the right now and you are so important. You know, we would have never advanced the causes of history that were worth advancing if people thought that way all the time. This generation is more prone to it than any other generation probably that has existed, excluding maybe some of the Roman Empire stuff, but... We tend to look right here at the end of our nose and say, this is the most important thing that's happening. But there are those who rise above it. And I would say that we have to honor our men and women in the the military. We're saying there's a greater cause. There's a greater cause. It's greater than my life. My life needs to be come alongside something that's more important than just me. I need to serve and give. Uh, The lady will honor this afternoon, Marie Walkie. I mean, she served in everything she could serve from... You know, Rainbow Kids and Seraphimists and sports leagues. and all kinds, Because she was always trying to live for something else that was bigger than her. And that's what made her so big, was living for other things. And she realized that our life is nothing more than a donation, if you will, to a cause or to a purpose. I want your lives to be important. I want you to make a difference. I want my life to count for something when it's all over. When they give you the little thing over your grave, it should say something important. That you made a contribution to life and people will miss you. But life is not just about you and I. We're a part of history that's unfolding. We're part of his story. And we are important in it. But we can't make it all about us. Otherwise we'll live too small. We won't see what's to be seen. We won't understand that we can make a life donation. And that we can make a difference. And I could put Jim Dennis on the spot this morning and without his permission, but I think that Jim and Bria and those that surrounded Lucy's cell group, they made a difference for us in Prop 8 locally. You know, they, they took their time. And, uh, you know, those are, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, huh? a lot of help. Of course, I, I drove by there in the dark, and there's Greg and, uh, and Glenn Atkins out. Two guys in the dark, you know, just wiggling their signs around, and Glenn's singing into the night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, three little no-on-eight guys on the other side of the street. And I thought, you know what, there's a time when you realize that you lay down your life for something other than you. 
Even if it means a few hours of your time, it means being on your knees a little longer. It means standing up in a public atmosphere and saying, I'm going to declare something that's un, um, not unacceptable, but people aren't going to like it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. And if it costs me something, well, then so be it. Because it's not about me. It's about the unfolding of his story through time. And I must live for something greater than myself. The Bible says, and um, maybe we should issue little shirts with a big V on them. Vapor man. <laughs> little cape. Vapor man. Superheroes, one and all. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. Do you have a visual on that? I, don't, I do. I spent this one uh, period of time in the Yukon between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was 40 below zero. And uh, I love telling the stories because it was such an experience. But the one thing I do remember was walking into the front yard of the home where I was staying and going, and it went, and it froze. <laughs> Right in front of my face. You can hear it. And this vaporish ice cloud drifted about 10 or 15 feet until it was gone. I'd never seen anything like that. It was, I just wouldn't be out there all day. Make another one. Make another one. But there's a visual for you of your life as a vapor. This is my life for a while and it's gone the prophet said it's like grass it grows up the sun shines and it's gone we gather it and we throw it in the fire our life seems like a long time but the bible says it's the width of a hand it's a hand breadth I don't really relate to this one but I know it's not very big and yet when I get out of bed in the morning I still feel important don't you? I mean, I can't take away that the God has created us in His image and He wants to use us to help unfold His story. But when I get a little too big for my britches, then i got to go to the closet and put on the V and say, I'm just the vapor man. And I'm going to be gone pretty soon. You know, it's His story we're looking at. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me give you two verses here. 1 Corinthians 10. And if you want to stick your finger there and grab Romans chapter 15, I like these two verses. They've stayed with me for a long time now. I memorized them a while back. Because they were so important to remembering this, what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians 10, and, uh, and you know, I'm just going to pull these out of, right out of the chapter. Verse 11 says, Now all these things happen to them as examples. It's talking about Moses in, in their time earlier in the chapter. So that's the reference under the wanderings of the children of Israel. It says, all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition, our exhortation, our instruction, if you will, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Isn't that interesting that Paul's writing, on the ends of the ages have come, even in his day, thought it was the last days. But all these things have been written down. What were written? The scriptures, the, the stories, the history, the transmittal of what happened had been written down so that we would be instructed by it how to live. Romans chapter 15, 
verse 4 says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We need a good overview of his story in our lives. We need to retain it. I'm going to ask Ed to give us a little bit of God's photo album. This is the clip out of this week's Truth Project. You can get to see it again later. Enmity between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household. Rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And God said to Noah, Behold, I establish my covenant with you. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country to the land I will show you. And Abraham took the ram instead of his son, and offered it up as a burnt offering. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land. Of when the child grew up, he became her son, and she named him Moses. Go into Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. shall have no other gods before me. And David had success in all he did. For the Lord was with him. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my he father. He took into Babylon those who had escaped the sword. So Judah was taken into exile. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous. And shall bear their iniquities. gave birth to her firstborn son and laid him in a manger. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things.
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Surely I am coming soon. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Well, that was definitely a quick overview, huh? from beginning to end. Okay, we're going to go to school. Ready? I'm going to give you seven ways that God reveals his law to us over time. Ready? Psalm 19, verse 1. Anybody can quote it? I'm hearing it, sort of, but not very loud. Good, 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 good. If you've been to the Truth Project, you've heard it a few times. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The first way that God has revealed his divine law to men is that he wrote it on nature. All the way back in the creation, God made himself very accessible and findable by putting himself on nature. And we've talked about that over the number of weeks in the past, but how the different ways of just being out in nature, uh, you, you have to be kind of blind not to spot the fact that God's involved somehow. That something greater than me has put all this together. That there is, of course, intelligent design. And he's the intelligent one. And so we find that this is the first way that God revealed his divine law. Now the second way, so you want to remember that, creation. Okay, say it with me, creation. In Romans chapter 2, the second edition, if you will, of divine law. Verse 14 Romans chapter 2, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, what's the law here referring to? The law of Moses. Okay. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. The second edition of divine law is written on the conscience of men. <clears throat> so you have creation. God is viewable. He's easy to be found. Before the law came, which was actually the third edition of the laws, when God wrote the law on tablets of stone with his own finger, the Bible says. Took Moses up into the mount, carved the tablets out of the rock, and wrote on the tablets himself the laws. And Moses, we always see the picture of him coming down looking an awful lot like Charles Heston, Charlton Heston. 
and uh, coming down the mountain, carrying the big stone tablets. And then we know that at one point, you know, he throws them down and they break, and he has to go up to the mountain and get a second set. And uh, yet God's law was accumulated and written down at that in the third, if you will, edition of divine revelation or law. But from creation until the law came, that part of his story, there's no law. And those who teach us about the law would tell us that in this period of time, the only thing that really existed was conscience. It had a conscience that they followed. So first is what? Creation. The second is? And the third revelation is this. uh, This Exodus chapter 24, 12, if you want a verse for that. Get over there. The third edition of divine law. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. Nature, conscience, tables of stone, written eventually too on the parchments and other devices that could accumulate the writings of the laws of God. And those laws stayed in effect and are still in effect for some around the world today who are trying to keep them. But those laws existed from that time of Moses to right now today they exist. But for you and I, we understand that there was an interruption in the law. When was that? It was when this divine law came in an illustrated edition. Living as the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and in truth, the word, the fulfillment, if you will, of the law, came in the person of Jesus, right? Jesus came and said, I'm the living illustrated edition. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm walking among you. I'm teaching. I'm acting it out. I'm showing you how it works. I can overcome sin, and I will for you, and I'll go to the cross to bear your sins there. And doesn't Romans 5.8 remind us that God demonstrated His love for us this way? God made a demonstration of His love for you this way, that bef- while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Now we know God has, in His story, the ability to speak hundreds of years in advance, right? He can call Cyrus before he's born. He can talk about the death, burial, resurrection, the crucifixion, the, the mockery of Jesus, 700 plus years before Jesus is born and comes on the earth. So He can act in our past, in a way that will affect our present, if we understand what took place. So when Jesus came and became the living, illustrated version of the divine law, and then he went to the cross, the Bible says he demonstrated his love this way. While you were still a sinner, God knowing you in advance, and that you would sin and break his laws, provided a Savior through his Son, Jesus Christ. He nailed himself to the cross on our behalf. The illustrated living version of the Word of God. He is the Word of God. The fifth edition we read in Romans chapter 15, 4, all these things have been written 
All of these things right here. After Jesus, you know, the New Testament was written. And so on the Old Testament, Jesus, the living word, and then here comes the Bible for us. You and I today, we have the accumulation of the scriptures. And this now for us is another revelation and uh, of his divine law. This gives us the complete package right here of what we need. The Bible says about itself that it has everything we need to know for life and godliness right here. True? Yes. Encourage me a little bit. Yes. Thank you. For a minute, you were reminding me of the crowd I'm going to see this afternoon. <laughs> when I make those kind of statements, I don't think they're going to agree with me necessarily. <laughs> They might. This whole book, this is so important to us. Hmm? I read of a family, and I, I know I did this in our homeschool. It didn't really work the way I wanted it to, but of a family that any time they were walking through the house, if somebody dropped a book, they had to stop, pick the book up, and kiss it out of respect for what there is available to be learned from books and the importance and the value of education. And I thought, boy, this is the only one I ever kiss right here. I mean, I can respect books and I mark all over them, drop them, kick them, use them, prop things up with them, but not this one. Not this one. Amen? I use this for a prop for my life, but not for just, you know, making things sit level. When we go to Mexico, other parts of the world, you never set this on the floor. Never. Around here, you, you go to sit down, you kind of swip it down under your seat. Mm-mm. No, you don't. You sweep it right back up. And it never lands on the ground. I like those things. See, because this is it. This is the book. This is life and godliness right here. But this book, without the living illustrated version that goes with it, Jesus himself, is just page after page of difficult sayings, things that are hard to do and live unless you know the living word. But it is, for us, the entire Scriptures. We know the canon um, of Scripture. The accumulation of this book has been thoroughly done, and we can trust it. It will help us every day, but only if we read it. Only if we allow the living Word to work through it, to reach courage and strengthen and guide and direct our lives. Hebrews chapter 8. The sixth edition of this divine law. This is pulling the old covenant and the new covenant together, if you can see it that way here. Verse 7 For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, speaking of the law, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
the next edition of the Divine Laws when God takes it from this book and from the illustrated version of Jesus and begins to write it inside of you. Aren't you glad for those times when you've memorized a few scriptures? Even if it's only the Ten Commandments that have held you at some times. You know, you're at the, I mentioned this before, you're at the check stand and they count out your change and you notice that it was wrong. They just add in an extra five in there, an extra ten. Or you give them twenty and they give you change for a fifty and you're standing there with the change in your hand and right then is when you need the Word of God to protect you. The temptation arises to just fold your hands, say thank you and move on. Say, well, it's their fault. But how many of you have been on the other side of the check stand? Come on. Yeah. You know, you're going to get to the end of the day and you've got to balance that register. And that is such a bummer when it doesn't balance. And you want the other person that notices on the other side to do what God would want them to do. Amen. To look at that and say, you know what? I think we made, maybe made an error. I'm not sure. Can we just check this? Because thou shalt not steal is written on the table of my heart. It's in my mind. It holds me. To not do anything unjust to another person, to take advantage, is not how I live because this book has been lifted out of the pages and inscribed on my spirit, man. How many of us could project the moment when of being in another country, even today, right now, where this, you're not going to have one of these. We heard from the Gideons. Remember the one little girl that got the little New Testament and she went to her other three friends and they tore it apart and each one of them got a section each one of them got a gospel. They all give their hearts to Jesus because that's all they had. You and I, you know, how many of these do you own? I've got a shelf full of these, different kinds and versions and leather and different hardbacks and soft and paper. And I've got it in all kinds of ways, but there are places in the world where this doesn't exist. And so what do they have to have? They have to have this lifted from the page and written on the tablets of their heart and their mind. And that becomes one of the divine law Revelations is when it's written inside of you. May we be encouraged when we read the scripture to remember it. May we be exhorted to make an effort to memorize certain passages that are going to hold us as our pinning in life. So that when we don't have a Bible with us and we don't have time to look it up, we do know how to live. In a way that reflects the living word. Because the seventh, no, we better get the sixth. What's the first one? Creation. The second one is? The third one is? The fourth one is the living word. Fifth is? You're trailing off on me. Come on. Hmm? Hmm? The complete scriptures of the written word? Hmm? Jesus. <laughs> Should we go to the squirrel? <laughs> Come on, I can't say that and not go there, right? Some of you don't know the squirrel story. I know it's old material. The rest of you just go, like, I've heard this a hundred times. But we have visitors. Let me bless them. <laughs> Look in the Sunday school class, and the teacher says, I want you to, as soon as you get the answer to what I'm going to describe something, I want you to shout out the answer. Okay. They're all excited. It's got four legs. Gray around here. Buzzy. Got a big poofy tail. Eats nuts. Yes? He says, ah, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> it's always funny. I mean, I wish I could say I made that story up because it's, it's, it's a good one. But yeah, so if you trail off, you just say Jesus and you get the right answer. One.
Uh, Jesus. No. Creation. Conscience. The law. Jesus. The living illustrated edition, right? Fifth. Entire scripture. Sixth. Written on our hearts. The last one. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles or letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. The outward Christian life becomes the living letter, the living epistle. The living word is this seventh way that God is manifesting himself today, again, to the world around us. It's through your life. You're the letter. You're the book. You're the illustration. You know what I love about these seven things? Let's, let's go real quick. Conscience. I'm sorry. Whoops. Creation. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, our Lord, for helping me. <laughs> Creation. And then we have conscience. And then we have the law. We have Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. The living word. And then the scriptures. And then on our hearts. And then us living it outward. We're the one that they're going to read. Have you ever heard the phrase? Some people will never, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. Have you ever heard that? You're the only Bible some people will ever read. Until they come to know Christ, then they can read this one with us. And with you. But until then, they're reading you. That's why when we go out and we cause a stir, or like I have this week with the Prop 8 thing on the signs and all the stuff, and now I get to go stand in front of all the people from the school district this afternoon, and all these Seraphimists and all these people, that, they're going to go, that's the guy. Amen. That I'm going to stand there as a living letter. What do I need to say that will help them understand that Jesus loves them too? It's not about some little war over Prop 8. Huge war over Prop 8. They're reading your life. When you unfold your hand at the register and say, I think this is wrong. When you're honest about something with people and they say, you know, you could have got away with that. What would you come back for? Well, because i got to live with me. And I have to live in a higher law. And I have a greater rulership over my life than maybe you do. And I like living happy. And I like living free. And I'm... I'm enjoying letting the law of God be read on my life. I told the story last night. I'll do it again this morning. That the time we went golfing, with, got into a foursome with the guys. Didn't know any of them, which is not my style of golf. I like to golf with people I know and have fun. But I end up golfing with these guys I don't know. And we get to the tenth hole. We're doing eighteen, and finally, you know, and I always hide my profession as long as I can. Uh, in any situation, if I can, I'll. Tuck it down. It's not that I'm not proud of who I am and what I do. It's just that it changes the conversation radically. Uh, you know, it would be different if I was a bus driver or a contractor, something different, you know. But as soon as you say you're a pastor, boy, things really change. 
So on the tenth green or tee, you know, they go, hey, by the way, what do you do? You know, just real direct. They're not going to fool around anymore. They can't hide from them. I said, well, I'm a pastor. I go, here we go. Nine holes to go. What's going to happen? The guy goes, oh, boy, that explains a lot. Really? What? Because nobody can golf as bad as you without cussing. <laughs> I said, well, we had a good nine holes after that. You know, I said, hey, that's fun, you know. It's probably true, too. <laughs> you don't cuss. It's amazing. The rest of us are... So, well, he's got a point. He's reading the book. They're reading your life whether you know they're reading it or not. They've got a question whether they ask it or not. They're wanting to see your part of his story. And they're reading us all the way as the video, you know, all the way from creation to right now. And the right now is important for us. But it's not just about us right now. Amen. We're donating our life to this piece of history that advances the kingdom of God and His ways in His dealings with men on the earth. And that's a privilege to carry that. It's an honor to be a believer. You know, when they first called them Christians in Antioch in the book of Acts, they did it with kind of a downcast. Yeah, Christians. Those guys are little Jesuses. They're like Christs. You know, they're just... They're the second edition model of Jesus. That's what they're trying to be, little Jesuses. Let's call them Christians. But it's stuck. And today when people say, you know, it's on forms. Put down your faith, you know, Christian or Protestant or whatever. It's stuck. And and it's true. We're supposed to be like little Jesuses. Wow. What a privilege. How do I live up to that? How do I possibly do that? I can't. I fail all the time. The Bible tells me ahead of time. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, tr- I regularly trip, stumble, and fall short of the goal. Don't you? Aren't we like that arrow that we pull out and we aim it at a target, we shoot, and we go, look at it, it's right on task, and then right <laughs> sticks in the ground just ahead of the target. We go, that's my life. Let's just accept, that's my life. I cannot, on my own volition, power, mental thought, acumen, beauty, intelligence, any other Measurement. I cannot hit this target. I've tried how many times? To please God. To be perfect. To be holy because He's holy. To be loving because He's loving. And then, uh, out it comes. And I, in the mud again. I'm short of the target. So what do we do? We stand and say, God, forgive me. I've fallen short. I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. Jesus, save me. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. And now, let this, John 1.14, full of grace and truth. The Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Then he says, I want to live inside of you. Say, good, come on in with grace and truth. Because truth will keep me straight and grace will help me do it. And I'll fail, but the grace will carry me through to victory. And I'll come in, you know, maybe dragging in by the skin of my teeth kind of thing, but I'm going to get there. And when I get there, it's going to be because His grace got me there. I'm not going to be able to stand in His presence and say, look what I did. I'm like the king of Assyria. <laughs> God's going to say, well, I'm going to spank Israel with you, and then I'm going to spank you. Well, God spanked me, but let me in. Use me. As inefficient and unable as I am, let your grace move through my life. And depend on Him by His Spirit to take this book and write it on my heart 
and imbibe it into my spirit so that it comes out on a regular basis. It's just who I am. Good? Amen. Father, this morning, thank you for taking these seven gradual revelations and the publications of your ways among us written on nature, written on conscience, written on tables of stone. Jesus, the illustrated edition, the entire book of the Bible, the scriptures, written them on our hearts and now you've caused us to become the living letters that others will also read. Lord, I thank you that this is your purpose for unfolding history, your story. The fact that you are alive and well and you're moving in the plans and hearts of men. God, we do pray that you will guide us, that you'll be the one that sets the irrigation ditches in place so that the water of our life flows in the direction that is most beneficial as you see it. We would not make our own paths, but that rather we would follow yours. Make it plain for us, Lord. We're simple people. You know that. And in our fallen state, it's hard for us at times to live up to what we see, the standard of your word. But we ask again for the grace that comes through the person of your Son to help us. Give us an ability beyond ourselves. Let us rise to the occasion as your children, sons and daughters of God. Help us to retain your word and to recount it regularly in our memory and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turkey, is that in here? Okay. On the, le- the right hand column here, two thirds and three quarters of the way down there, it says, Do you know a needy, uh, do, you, do you need or know a family? You write that over. Okay. Do you know a family that can't? <laughs> Read it yourself. <laughs> I'm in trouble here. I can. <laughs> anyway. It's gotten plenty of attention now, so just read that little box. Anyway, Shanna's helping us to organize this. Turkey dinners for people who need them. I think I've got it. Uh, but there's a, there's a cutoff time of November the 20th, no later than noon. You need to call Shannon. This is for putting together the box-type dinners. It has everything for Thanksgiving for a family that maybe can't afford it or you know, needs a little extra help. Um, you know, sneak one in for yourself if you need to. It's okay, right? We will bring them here the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. They'll be here at the church about 10. One thing I would just suggest, though, if you find a needy family, say, boy, they could really use it, would you please determine whether or not they have the ability to use it? Yeah. You know, sometimes we go, oh, we're going to get this big box with a frozen turkey and all this stuff, and they don't have an oven. Yeah. Okay, or their gas is off. Yeah. You're not helping. Help them, truly help them. <laughs> I don't just give them a bunch of stuff that they're kind of going to bang on with a hammer, hold out in the sun or something. So find the family and help, really, really help them. Okay? All right, well, that's Shan right there. She's got the phone number. Give her a call. Love each other the best you can. That's what the Bible says.